Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. No one is responsible for being abused. There's no excuse for that. You didn't look it off the grass. You, you chose that person. You chose to stay with that person. So if we're going to get better, we have to quit watching YouTube videos that, that are, or what a podcast that just completely are negative about narcissists. And we have to take responsibility and we can, can't fix or solve what we can't see. And it sounds blaming, but to someone who's self-love deficient, when they find out that they're also a victim, as was her parents and her grandparents. Welcome back to another episode of Journey Beyond Divorce. We are so excited that you keep coming back and listening. We appreciate you so much. Uh, if you're a regular listener um, and you haven't yet, please subscribe. That way the episodes will be automatically downloaded. And if you haven't yet reviewed our podcast, uh, please take a few minutes, a few sentences of why you're finding value in it. That's how more and more people can find us and, and benefit from our content. And so today I'm excited to um, have a good friend of mine, someone who's been on the podcast a number of times before, Ross Rosenberg. We're here to talk about how to navigate and heal from narcissistic abuse and a key skill uh, to start you down that path. So if your marriage um, has felt chaotic and confusing over the years, and you've become unhinged, shut down, and even felt a loss of self, um, you need to hear this podcast. A light bulb goes on when you understand that uh, what narcissistic personality disorder looks and feels like, and if you've been gaslit and diminished and belittled for so long that you've begun to believe their narrative about you and probably deeply dislike the triggered person that you've become, uh, you're going to learn a lot today. When you listen to a podcast like this one, the curtain is pulled back. The emperor has no clothing and you feel hope for a better future. So like I said, I'm back with my good friend, Ross, who specializes in helping people to understand uh, the behavior of the narcissist and more importantly, what caused you to attract such a dysfunctional person into your life and what you brought to the table. Ross goes further explaining to us our behavior born out of our trauma and how to heal from a deep and painful lack of self-love that has driven most, if not all of our relationships. So a little bit about Ross. He is the owner and primary contributor to Self-Love Recovery Institute. He's a psychotherapist, educator, expert with witness and author. Ross is known globally uh, for his expertise in codependency, self-love deficit disorder, pathological narcissism, narcissistic abuse, um, and trauma treatment. And his book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, is out in its second version, and he's working on a third version. It's already sold over 100,000 copies and is translated into seven languages. Ross has been regularly featured on national TV and radio and has um, hundreds of thousands of YouTube subscribers uh, and over 16 million views. You can find his work online at selfloverecovery.com. So welcome, Ross. Oh, you know, Karen, I, I, I think this is number four, and I'm trying to remember the first one, and it had to be 
back in the time when we both were working our, our butts off trying to like um, get our names out there. And all I know is you have just skyrocketed. And and I thought you would. You have special talent. You, you have personality. You have warmth. So I am so glad to be on your, your podcast. And I am so glad to have you um, on my podcast. And so thank you uh, for this opportunity. And I can't wait to find out what we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, right back at you. And I think that... Um, each time we've spoken, uh, you know, we work with a similar audience from such different angles. And I so respect what you bring to the table and and your your um, approach to the challenges of people who've been with these narcissistic personalities. I would love for us to start the conversation today, Ross, uh, with just laying a foundation, which is what I think you do so beautifully. And so, you know, our listeners um I think for both of us, you know, are in have been in these high conflict, confusing, chaotic, overwhelming uh, relationships where they've they've been triggered and they've lost themselves and they've lost their sense of um, self confidence and 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 there's so much self blame and self condemnation and they've been belittled and so it just it's heaping pain upon pain upon pain and I was in this position when I was married and I didn't know. And so I didn't understand. And so there was so much self-blame and so much confusion. So let's start with that. Gaslighting and gaslighting, which people don't even know is there. But yes, please continue. Sorry. I just Yeah. Yeah. So so let's pour a foundation of what what is the dynamic of um, of the personality disorder and the person who is attracted to it? Like, let's talk about how they end up on the dance floor together. Okay. Well, this is an eight hour uh, interview, yeah. right? I'll start at the beginning. <laughs> um, so the way I look at it is I, I look at it from a big picture, a macro perspective and a micro perspective. The macro perspective is both of these individuals had extremely traumatic childhoods. Uh, we call that attachment trauma. And during that childhood, they learned to survive. And the child who's going to become the codependent learned to survive by molding his or we'll call herself into what the narcissist wanted her to be or a way for her to stay out of trouble or to become the perfect child, the trophy child. And so she, um, early in her life, resigned the opportunities to become an independent individual. And so that survival mechanism kept her safer in a family and the sum total of it created what I call a relationship template. And that is the unconscious knowing of what is familiar and what feels safe in a relationship. And someone who comes from the codependent, where what I know, I've changed the name from codependency to self-love deficit disorder. So I will refer to that in this interview as SLDD and codependent as self-love deficient or SLD. So, um, that childhood was the cauldron that a trauma um, that would coalesce into codependency and the creation of the relationship template is the chemistry. When you meet someone, it just, it just, oh, it just feels right. They get you. And if you meet a narcissist and you, and you don't have to talk a lot, you don't have to show off, which um, SLDs don't know how to do. And you just listen and hear someone's pain. It feels so natural. And, and, and if they're, charming, sexual, etc. On the other hand of it, if you are born to the same family and you can't figure it out, maybe you're the disappointing child, you have the wrong color hair, you just were born at the wrong time, or you just have the personality where you naturally say no, <laughs> like a lot of normal kids. And that child is uh, consigned to a future of grave disappointment, resentment, hatred. The narcissist doesn't get um, they're uh, what I call they don't, they can't fulfill their good parent fantasy, and that child endures trauma that is horrendous. There's abuse, neglect, abandonment. He can't or she can't figure it out, and that child creates just like the child to become an SLD creates coping mechanisms. Well, that child creates coping mechanisms that coalesce as an uh, into a relationship template that becomes a personality disorder. Um, and because the trauma is so terribly 
worse than the child who's going to become an SLD. It is unconscious. It's it's um, it's uh, disassociated. So when these adults meet, when adults meet, the chemistry is the matching of relationship templates. Healthy people. Um, um, and, and I'm not going to really go into my human magnet syndrome, but I'll say it's a matching of opposite personalities. Healthy people, opposites match. <laughs> it feels good. Healthy relationship. When a SLD is at a dance, wanting to dance, and the narcissist is at a dance, wanting to dance, and they um, meet someone and who needs them to lead the dance and makes them uncomfortable. Unconsciously, no chemistry, but if SLD meets someone who feels right and familiar, they get to listen to a person's problems who has been beaten up by the world, who's um, whose three wives are trying to get child support, who who it has all these terrible bosses that don't understand them and fire them for no reason. And they right. get to hold his hand and just feel the pain. And he's so sexy. And, right. and then the narcissist goes, oh, my God, now finally, someone who listens to me and understands who doesn't interrupt. Uh, oh, perfect. Well, that's the chemistry. That's the human magnet center of chemistry. So chemistry brings all people together. The matching of relationship templates of what we know is safe and familiar brings narcissists and codependents together. It's the dance. The leader needs a follower. If you're going to do a good dance, I, I can't dance, but I, I'm good at metaphors <laughs> and the following the leader. So, so, so that, that's about the most concise version of the human magnet syndrome, which is my book, as you well know, explanation for why these two come together and why it feels so well matched. And they stay together because of a dysfunctional match. The difference is the narcissist is a lot happier in the relationship <laughs> as um, than the SLD or the codependent. But Yeah, yeah. And I think that so many of us have had that experience where it's like, I don't remember it being so displeasing in the beginning, right? Right. It's like, I, why, how did I fall in love with this person? Because now, 5, 10, 30 years later, I'm miserable, but but I was attracted. Why was I so attracted to them? And you're describing this, this um, bait and switch that kind of happens, though. Actually, I, I didn't it, I didn't use bait and switch. If we were talking about the human magnet syndrome and sociopaths, I would throw that in. But we're going to talk about standard pathological narcissists with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, they, it doesn't it's not a bait and switch. The narcissist falls in love. Lo narcissists. Um, if we don't talk about ASPD, sociopaths, narcissists love people. They are able to love. They have sympathy, empathy, and compassion when people make them feel good, when people allow them to be the center of the attention, when people don't hurt them. And SLDs, of course, codependence love. So this is a love relationship. This is intense. This is a miracle. They both... Um, it's like a half person meets another half person and together they finally feel whole. They need the relationship to feel whole. And that's, you know, that's, that is just beautiful. That's a miracle. That's why people, people who SLDs and, and narcissists, when they meet, when all humans meet and fall in love, they have what we call limerence. That's natural. Just you're walking on air. You can't sleep. You can't eat. That's all uh, hardwired into us. But the limerence that the SLD and the narcissist has, it's I call limerence on crack. They they are delivered um, away from their misery. <clears throat> then once the relationship is is connected and neither are afraid of being abandoned, and this happens invisibly, um, then their personalities, mostly the narcissist starts to come out and the SLD doesn't go WTF, I'm out of here because <clears throat> that's what they're used to. They don't like right. it. They, they, they are afraid of being outside of a relationship and being lonely. So, so it, it, they fall in love. The narcissist shows his or her colors. The SLD is more used to it and feels paradoxically safe because that's what they know and right. because they're full of shame they don't want to risk being alone again right right yeah so so that that familiar feeling is part of what keeps them connected even though and i remember in my own marriage just like at a certain point like god this is so hard and 
how did this get so hard? And, and why can't, why can't we talk things through? And why is it not getting, I'm, I'm pretty skilled. Why is it not getting better? And just really confused. And, and I didn't know anything about personality disorders. I just, you know, I just thought my spouse was difficult. Yeah. And, and you were right, but what you didn't know and what I didn't know, um, and I was a therapist, <laughs> a, a couple, a couple, actually I was a therapist and most all of my significant relationships. But what we didn't know is we were more afraid of being alone or lonely than standing up for ourselves and calling out our pain, um, our, our distrust, our suspicion, our agony and something inside. You, what is that? What is that? Um, about someone who has self-love deficiency um, disorder. What is, what is, how is their fear of leaving a relationship and being alone different from like the, the standard or normal individual? Okay, so let me define normal and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> normal and healthy has problems. Normal and healthy could need someone like you or me. Actually, not me. Uh, normal and healthy could use therapy and coaching. Okay. Um, we're too, we're, we're very specific. Normal and healthy just knows when to reach out for help. Normal and healthy can set boundaries, but normal and healthy is just normal. They're not this, this perfect people that have no problems. Um, can you ask that question again? What is it about the code, the, the person who's got that self-love deficit disorder that makes leaving so much harder or staying so much more necessary? Um, a term I created, everything that I created and wrote about comes from not not find, not being able to find a therapist that could explain what the heck was going on with me. And I, I eventually came up with this term called pathological loneliness. SLDs, codependents, experience bone aching, pathological loneliness. It's an existential disease. When they are not in a relationship, there is this pain that is, they don't know it, but it's reminiscent of their childhood. Um, it is such deep, hurtful loneliness. It's not the same as regular loneliness. Regular loneliness, everyone can suffer from, but, and that loneliness compels them consciously and unconsciously into a relationship and SLDD is an addiction. And we could do a whole discussion someday in the future on, on, on why SLDD self-love deficit disorder is an addiction. There, there's just like any addiction, it starts off with a need to, to uh, more often than not to medicate pain. An alcoholic will might start drinking because of insecurity, anxiety, more and that pain is the the loneliness and the shame which they're not which is they're not completely conscious of so when an sld meets a narcissist they fall in love it's the perfect match that's the prince charming the you know princess charming and that pain goes away the loneliness goes away and they feel so alive and in love and and euphoric the when you take if you have lived with pain your whole life i i, I have major depression which is the, <laughs> it, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it there's only one diagnosis for depression it's called major depression there's no medium depression or minor depression and when i wasn't on medicine i had so much pain depression and the pain was horrible but on medicine it went away and the day it went away I felt so happy. I still was in a horrible marriage, but it was the absence of the pain that made me feel so happy. And then, of course, my life caught up to me and I got regular depression. <laughs> so the point the point is when they find that perfect lover, and I quote that for the people who aren't seeing this on video, air quote it, um, that pain goes away. And then that person is sexy, interesting, and they have sex really quickly. Um, they are living in such pure pleasure that they haven't ever experienced. And, they, and that draws them in. Pathological loneliness is also the withdrawal symptom of the addiction, self-love deficit addiction. So should you leave the relationship, that loneliness will return. 
And it, and every SLD knows that loneliness. I had goosebumps. Every time I talk about it, I get goosebumps because I remember it. And, and that draws you into a relationship. And SLDs are not addicted to narcissists because that makes no sense. Being addicted to um, um, pain. pain. Yeah, there are some people that are, but they are addicted to a relationship and the human magnets right. brings them together. Right. Yeah, so I love the very first time I met you and you talked and, and uh, having read so much and talked about codependence, when you coined it as self-love deficit, I was like, oh my goodness, really at the core of all of us who have codependent tendencies yep. is this willingness to give ourselves up to take care of another so that we feel loved. Right. And and it's, it's, it's interesting because SLDs, I don't think they... There's so many very, I'm, I'm rewriting my book at the end of our discussion. I'll talk about my new book, which basically updates everything. But um, they um, they want to love. They enjoy loving. They don't think of it as sacrifice. They feel good about it. It's part of their identity. And so when they get an opportunity to take care of someone in the beginning, it makes them feel really good. And then they get caught into um, a relationship that which there's no mutuality and there's pain and there's and and that the thought of of leaving and um, the shame of their own gaslit shame, their own personal shame and their loneliness, it just defies what I call the natural gravity. I call it relationship gravity. If you're an SLD, that gravity is really strong. It keeps you in a relationship. <laughs> And it's hard to get out of. So you talked earlier and about coping mechanisms. And one of the, when I was going through my divorce in the early days, I joined a 12-step program. Um, my my dad was an alcoholic. My, my mm -hmm. spouse had other things that he got involved in. And one of the things that I learned in the 12-step program is that we create these coping mechanisms as children and the very coping mechanisms that keep us safe, like we intuitively know what to do as kids to stay safe. When we bring those same coping mechanisms into our adult relationships, they um, they they don't work out so well. And as you're describing, um, the codependent um, who who needs that, but who also gives and gives to get it, right? Like, no. how would you describe um, the behavior of that that doesn't serve them in the self love deficit disordered person? Well, let, let me first um, have a response to coping mechanisms. Um, there are defense mechanisms that are more unconscious or um, where we're not aware of that are like coping mechanisms, but they they handle our reality. They handle our our understanding of ourselves, or understanding of people and they protect us. But they're behind the scenes. The coping mechanisms are in they're in front of the scenes. I guess the opposite. Um, they are what we learn to do to survive. Um, those coping mechanisms are um, that you learned as a child are brought forward into um, a relationship. And those coping mechanisms are to survive the loneliness, the pain, and the shame of being invisible, of being hurt, being ignored, being pushed around. So those coping mechanisms actually are brought forward. And those coping mechanisms are the um, the the lattice, the, the internal structure that keeps the, the SLD, the codependent in a relationship. They coping with, um, with, you know, loneliness, coping with, you know, bad self-esteem, coping with a, a difficult narcissist. But if you get healthier, if someone sees you, if someone sees a, a psychotherapist that understands this stuff, someone sees me, um, those coping mechanisms um, become the focus of the therapy, the coaching. Why are you, for example, why do you have to disappear at a party when your husband or your partner becomes front and center? 
why, you know, why do you say sorry all the time? And so the goal of, of people like us is to bring awareness of the coping mechanism and create cognitive dissonance, create a feeling of what am I doing? Why am I doing that? Okay. Why am I giving up so much? Why do I even have to cope with this? And um, and that can happen sometimes on a person's by by someone's just people just sometimes hit this moment of truth and understanding. And sometimes it's in therapy. And then we start dismantling the coping mechanisms and realizing that we're missing, we're missing out in life, we're missing out in self-love. And and we have to get rid of them or modify them. And of course, that's when the proverbial um stuff hits the fan. Yeah. But yeah. but see, that's see, that's my perspective. I bet your perspective is equally valid, but you probably have a different way of looking at it. Well, <clears throat> Actually, that was really presumptuous. <laughs> I don't know. So let's hear what you have to say. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I think that I, I think I actually really um, resonated when you and I spoke in terms right. of how you discuss this and looked at it. And, and I've lived it. Right. And so that what you just described is feels to me like me going from living a life with all these subconscious beliefs and behaviors until I became aware of them. And once I became right. aware of them, then I could start dismantling them. Like, what is this? And, and I find that so many people um, that we work with are filled with self-condemnation rather than self-compassion. Um, so. And, and there's an Irish saying, I didn't always know it was Irish, but uh, you didn't lick it off the grass. <laughs> you didn't lick it and, off. You didn't look it off the grass. It's like it that. came from someplace. I'm not from Ireland. What does that mean? You didn't look it off <laughs> the grass. I'm not getting it. I've been like in interviews where people are like, what does that mean? And it means that you didn't just pick it up. You were you were raised with this. This was oh. something that was developed and designed and you didn't. I guess a dog licks things off the grass. No, 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 no. Don't ask me. I don't really know. Um, but I like the saying. So you didn't lick it off the grass. This is something that through your childhood was yeah. was designed into you. And now that you know, and this is the cool thing with most people, certainly who are proactive and coming for support. It's like once you know, you can't unknow. But before we get into that, I recall you saying something that really grabbed me the last time we spoke, and it was um, about the codependence delusion. Joe and their spouse always seemed to be fighting, but nothing was ever resolved. Their spouse would constantly blame them, unwilling to take any responsibility. Joe lived in the tension of walking on eggshells, doubting themselves, and over time, they became unhinged, angry, and triggered, struggling further with shame and self-condemnation. Their reactivity was used as proof that they were the problem. If you're in a relationship or marriage filled with conflict and blame, and you're wondering, is this normal or could it be toxic? Take the quiz and find out how toxic your relationship is. Go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash toxic quiz and find out today. It's so easy to like um, blame someone else. It, and one of the things, and I'm not going to steer into an, an, another conversation topic, but it could be. One of the things that I do differently is I help compassionately and empathetically help people realize if you're going to solve codependency, you have to realize you brought the problem. You are the co-partner to the problem. You are not, no one is, no one is responsible for being abused. There's no excuse for that. You didn't look it off the grass. You you chose that person. You chose to stay with that person. So if we're going to get better, we have to quit watching YouTube videos that that are or what a podcast that just completely are negative about narcissists. And we have to take responsibility and 
we can, can't fix or solve what we can't see. And it sounds blaming, but to someone who's self-love deficient, when they find out that they're also a victim, as was their parents and their grandparents. So I wanted to say that. And and part of getting older is I don't have the same short-term memory. I'll go off on one area and I can't get back to the other one. So get me back to the other one. Um, you were a- asking something. Yeah, you, you had described um, the codependent as living in a delusion. It's almost like until they woke up. And so I think for, for, for everyone listening, it's like, if, if you're walking this path, what is that describe that, that living in the delusion piece and the waking up? Um, This, that saying um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, which did not come from Mark Twain, did not come from Albert Einstein. It came from a 1988 pamphlet from Narcotics Anonymous. Okay. Melody Beattie pointed that out to me when (laughs) (laughs) she actually pointed out that three of my sayings um, were not attributed to any of those people. And so that was, that was interesting. Um, So... The codependent delusion is based upon the sum toll of their life experience that um, they will find love if they just um, don't get in the way of the narcissist, give the narcissist what they need um, and just love them and, and take care of them. And if they sacrifice enough, if they just are patient enough, if they just don't call the police enough. <laughs> um, they just don't divorce them. They And they sacrifice um, their life. They believe they're going to solve this problem and experience love. But the problem is um, those dreams, those ambitions can never come to fruition because the person um, who's tied to those dreams has no capacity to fulfill them. And the delusion, a delusion is believing in something um, that is not based upon in reality. So the delusion that I love this person, one day it's going to work out. We're going to return back to that limerence moment. Um, he will change. He'll go to therapy. Um, that is a delusion um, because first, their lover has a personality disorder. And by virtue of that mental health disorder, they, they're not going to change or have insight into the problem. Two is... They don't know it, but they need to be in this broken relationship. Should they leave this person, they'll have the the loneliness and then they will find the next narcissist. Or as my therapist told me, the same person, but with a different face. So it's a it's a form of, you know, those who have children know what magical thinking is. Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy. It's a form of adult magical thinking that sustains dysfunctional thinking and behavior and relationships. So that's, you know, where I see it, and if I could share one or two situations, so people are coming to us and oftentimes in the very early stages and, and I work with a lot of individuals where they, they want to mend. Um, so they either are still they, in and they, they want to mend, they want to mend, mend the, mend the marriage. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, you know, my thing is, do you mend or do you end? Like, which is the, which, which is the right path for you? And, and connecting delusion to the people who, who want to mend. I was just speaking to a client and what was so interesting was their thought was, if my, if my spouse could just acknowledge the verbal abuse or the physical abuse, if they could just acknowledge that, um, that, that they're part of it, all of these statements that they haven't seen in the, let's say 20 years of their marriage. But the other thing that was fascinating that was missing was, well, let's say they could do all of that. Like, how are the many ways that you're feeling loved by this person? Right. Do you feel adored, acknowledged, seen, right. heard, respected? And and so the part for me where after you said that, and I've been looking for it, is the delusion is like they don't, their needs aren't even on the table the, to the point where this individual stopped in their tracks. They didn't even realize 
that they weren't considering any of the, even the most basic and foundational needs. Then you then you have the individual who um, is definitely getting divorced. They know nothing can change, and they describe a lifetime of being in an insane, in a chaotic relationship. Right. And they say, um, I, I believe that we can have a really um, smooth and amicable divorce. Yeah. And to me, it's like delusion, delusion, delusion. And, and you know, it's just a question or two. It's like, okay, how has reconciliation gone? How has communication gone? How has cooperation and collaboration? And, and of course, none of those things exist. And so in yeah. what world... In my deluded world, because in what world do you expect that you are now going to have an amicable divorce? And so so from in my world of high conflict divorce, I see that delusion. They, they know it's they're like pivoting now. They know that that this can't continue, but they're still very deep in um, in delusion. You know, I um, I have an 11 stage treatment program and the first stage is just coming and seeking help. The second stage is information. It's just an upload of information, whether it's your information, my information. And um, and part of that information upload is a very um, a relatable discussion about personality disorders and self-love deficit disorder. You can't solve something if you don't know about it. And I, okay. and since our, what we do is collaborative, we collaborate with our, our clients, our patients. Um, they shouldn't just believe, believe us because we're experts. We want to teach them. And I teach them about personality disorders in a way that is different from YouTube or reading books. Um, and, and in that discussion, is um, that they have broken a broken center in their personality, that they are easily triggered and have narcissistic injuries if anything somehow is said or done that they perceive is a question of their worth. And that shame, if it gets triggered, they are unable to understand. All they know is they have to hurt the person. And that's the narcissistic injury. So in this, this upload of information, um, I explain well, not what a narcissistic injury is and how you stay uh, this and that. So if you understand a pathological narcissist, whether they have borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, or antisocial personality disorder, and you understand why they are so fragile and they have to hurt in response to being challenged. Um, then you look at what, if you divorce that person, that is the biggest, um, it's public humiliation in the eyes of a narcissist. Um, even if um, it is abandonment, now, they don't know that because they have a personality disorder. All they know is that person is horrible and they're going to pay for it. So there is no way. The only way there's an amicable divorce um, with a narcissist is if the narcissist is lying and cheating and you don't know that they're getting, they're totally ripping you off. There's something wrong when it's amicable um, or they got something on the side. So when I teach that, then we go up to stage six, which is preparing for um, the narcissistic storm. Stage seven is setting the boundaries and saying, I want a divorce. I don't, um, it's so important to prepare a person for the divorce because SLDs, they're daring headlights, they get sucked back in. So by the time we get to stage six, we create what is called predictive awareness. If you do A, B always happens. If you don't do this, this always happens if you um, and the more they understand about how their SLDD interacts with the narcissist and they understand what's going to happen when the, the, the stuff hits the fan and build this library of predictive awareness that when they do it, there are no surprises. The conflict is all over. There's, you, it's I go that what is the sound of one hand clapping? I stole this from someone. And if you're not a smart ass and do this, there's no sound. So you, the conflict is when two people get drawn into it. 
Right. Now, you, it still can be horribly painful and necessary to, to seek someone with your background. But if you've done what I call the homework or, or been involved in my program, you know why you have been sucked into it. You know about your delusion. You know about the narcissist's personality disorder. You have prepared for every t- type of scenario. And then everything that you do is going to always be followed by what I call my uh, I call it the of course technique. You're going to, have to go, of course, nothing will surprise you. And that to me is the most important element of high conflict breakups is to not, you know, George Bernard Shaw said, don't wrestle with pigs. You'll get dirty. And beside the pig likes it is if, if you fight back, right. you lose now fighting, having an attorney fighting, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, I totally hear you. And I think that the saying that you hear so often is, I can't believe he or I can't believe she. And it's like, well, of course you can. You've been married to them for like dozens of years. Um, Denial is just not a river in Egypt, as they said in Saturday Night Live in 1980. I remember hearing that. So I think I would love to pivot to... um, a skill that can help that you and I have different opinions on. Um, really? <laughs> a, a, a little bit, I think. Oh, no, that, so, okay, for those so, people who so, don't know me, that's <laughs> me going, yay, let's talk about it. I actually love I love different opinion discussions only because even if I disagree, I end up learning because, right. and but more often than not, I end up learning and find out what I don't know. So let's bring it on. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, for, for um when people join us and and yeah. begin to learn some basics about what's going on, uh, the first skill um, that I present to them is mm-hmm. the skill of boundaries. And most people who are married in these marriages, they're boundary oblivious. They didn't grow up in a household with boundaries. I certainly didn't. They don't actually, okay. they can't define them. They don't understand the value of them. They certainly wouldn't know how to defend them. And so, so boundaries becomes this really interesting thing. And what I find is that people mm-hmm. think, well, if I set a boundary, And then if I'm setting a boundary with Ross and Ross doesn't listen, I need to say it louder. I need to say it more often. I need to, I need to like, what am I supposed to do? I said it and he just, he's just plowing it down. And so for me, the beauty of helping someone step into their agency is helping them understand number one, I've done these trainings where there's no sense at all of well, well, what is a boundary and how do I do that? And then once I do it, of course, he or she will plow it down because they're boundary oblivious. So how do I uphold it? Which people typically think is changing Ross's behavior, but it's actually changing Karen's behavior. If I want to uphold a boundary, I have to change my behavior. And so I would love to have this conversation with you because I feel like um, from my vantage point, this is this is a baby step skill that allows individuals to start seeing and voicing their needs, not expecting the other person to show up differently, but figuring out what can I do differently to make sure that this boundary that's important to me is uh, maintained. And so I'm about to say something paradoxical and just bear with me. So I say to uh, people, Um, boundaries with narcissists do not work. And then I proceed to teach them about how to set boundaries with narcissists. And, And it's not a contradiction, is if you understand the the reception of the boundary, the the experience of the boundary, and how and why the narcissist is going to reject it, then you have to like re- configure what what is a boundary a boundary is not something that someone is going to understand and agree with with a narcissist a boundary is a analogous to a physical block you can't do this i won't let you do this Um, and should you do this there will be a consequence which could be walking away calling the police that a boundary um, so if you understand in the beginning, well, narcissists will fight boundaries. And the only time that they agree to boundaries is if 
there is something to gain from it or the avoidance of a consequence. They will never follow boundaries because of respect um, or love. And so it's important for the person who's learning about boundaries is to understand what they are and how and why it works. Because if, if you're, if you have a sociopathic narcissist who understands what you're doing, they will follow the boundaries, but they will do it in a way that ultimately will undermine you. So if you, it starts off with boundaries don't work with narcissists. So you have to use boundaries for yourself. So when you say, stop yelling at me, you're protecting yourself. You're not controlling the behavior. And if you understand that they don't work, then I teach them what I call my three strike um, boundary rule, which essentially in, in the quick version is um, in a in a series of three attempts to set a boundary. Uh, it all starts with boundaries don't work. So in, a, in, in an attempt, you know that this boundary won't work. You know that at the end, you're going to set the last iteration of the boundary is is the announcement of the consequence. Set the boundary once. Re paraphrase it second time, summarize it third time. And then you say, um, I have nothing more to say. The consequence, if you do this, is that, and you walk away and you prepare to deliver the consequence. And without emotion, um, because you, they need you to be upset. They need you to be angry, setting a boundary and screaming, yelling. You, you might feel empowered. You might, you know, you know, you might learn how to set boundaries by your coach, your therapist, and you might feel empowered. But if you're angry and you're in there and saying, you know, you can't do that, you have actually less control than you think. But when you set a boundary and you use my observe, not absorb technique and you can stand back and not get caught into what I call the wrestling ring, wrestle with the pig, and you can predict through predictive awareness exactly how it's going to go, you're going to watch it happen, and you are going to know that the, you have to apply the consequence. Then I say in another video, here's my contradiction. Um, you can change, pissed, pissed off a lot of people, you can change narcissists. And what I meant is be, if you use... Um, behavioral theory or conditioning in these situations where you don't get caught in the fight and you set the boundary, eventually they're not going to get their reward. Like a child, the cookie, the treat for a dog. And eventually they're going to, every time they try to fight, they're not going to get what they want and they're going to experience a consequence. Well, eventually because of conditioning, um, I think they call this, oh, I forgot the name of the term, but, um, they are going to stop doing it because they're not getting the reward. They're getting the consequence. You don't change the narcissist. You don't, they don't respect you. It's, it's, it's like a dog who you've given dinner treats his whole life. And doctor says, if you keep feeding him human food, you'll kill him. That dog, it's going to be six months of breaking that dog's habit. And eventually the dog will stop. He won't know why he stopped. So boundaries work. If you have the understanding of what they are and how they work on narcissists um, and that and you have the right um, what idea of what is success. And if you understand, if you keep it going, you will and just using behavior theory that they'll stop because they're not getting anything from you um, and it might take a while, then there's all the reason to keep setting boundaries. But you just have to understand the nature of how you set that and how you so easily can get pulled into a fight that no matter how strong you feel, and I call that, I call this uh, um, um, power, um, false power syndrome, where you, when you're angry and you're fighting, you feel strong. Well, that's dangerous. Then the boundaries will work. You just have to be patient. That's, that's, that's part of my thinking in that. Well, so we're actually not that far apart. What I love. Oh, so we agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because or, or, I think, I I think what you're, what you're saying. So what's interesting is you just added a layer of it that I haven't spoken about that much. And it's like, I'm nodding my head and I agree, but it's interesting. It hasn't entered my training as much, which is, you know, on the one hand, it's like boundaries allow you to begin to 
think about and understand your needs, right? Which is like right. your needs haven't even been on the list, you know? So, so now it's like, oh, I, I definitely, I want this. I can't have it, but I want it. So that's the beginning. So then you learn how to articulate. Um, you can't speak to me that way, for instance, or you can't treat me that way. Um, or you can't send me 6,000 texts a day while I'm at work. And, and of course, you're saying that and they're not going to listen. They're they're, you know, deaf to that. But you bring in this really interesting piece, which is if if you do the skill of boundary setting beautifully, but you do it with emotional angst, then then you're feeding them. They're getting their supply. And so to your point, which I think is brilliant, when you're learning to set boundaries at the same time, you want to be learning to not take the bait, right? To, to take a breath, to take a beat, to step back and to not do that same dance. And I think right. I, I have a, a dance I call the deflect and defend dance. And it's like, right. it's so hard when you're in these patterns, all of these various patterns that you and I talk about to notice your part and detach from it. And yet the boundary requires you to step out of your victim mentality and begin building agency so that you believe you have agency. And that requires you to never expect that you can control the other person. The other thing as you're speaking is I've can, run can I my something yeah, go ahead. Um, I only briefly mentioned it and 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 I'm only gonna briefly say it again. So if you guys want to know more about it, just go on Google, not go on our my website um or YouTube, and that information will be at the end of the um this conversation. But the observe don't absorb technique is the most essential technique skill set that I teach my clients. And essentially, um I teach people through predictive awareness and education to, to understand what we just talked about. Don't wrestle with the pig, you'll get dirty. And beside the pig likes it. And I teach them the, the physical wrestling ring is anything you do or don't do. The emotional wrestling ring is when they get in your head. And I and I explain to them to, to temporarily, in a healthy way, dissociate um, is to remove yourself emotionally and just watch the narcissist behave narcissistically and understand that should you let it into you emotionally that's toxins you get sick which is the fight and so don't absorb and so if you understand observe don't absorb and all the stuff that we've talked about you then have it, it fits with what you just said you you have a technique that actually is hard to actually master but once you get it everyone loves it that enables them to follow what you just said is not to get pulled into it because you now understand that fighting the physical wrestling ring, you're, you'll lose, you'll get dirty, you get muddy, or if they get into your head. And, and, and that's why um, I've received so much positive feedback about it because it, it take it's part of taking the fight up. So I just wanted to throw that in. Sorry for no, beautiful. No, that's so beautiful. And, um, Yes. Yeah, so I was what I was going to say is I've I've spoken to a couple of other coaches about my boundary workshop. And the first thing that um, someone had said to me is there's nothing collaborative about it. And um, and collaborative what was, in what way? Um, well, if you're if you're setting a boundary with a healthy person, there's oh, yes. a there's a different kind of dialogue because there's a different kind there's... of expectation, right? It's like if I trained my people to go into these boundary conversations expecting that the other person would say, "I hear you, I see you, that makes sense, I can respect right. that." Well, you, you're setting them up for for failure. And so, to your point, when you're working on boundaries in these dysfunctional relationships. Um, it needs to be crystal clear in terms of what the boundary is and what your what you, the boundary setter, is going to do to uphold it. And, mm -hmm. and that's where that, along with your observe, don't absorb, is where people begin to take back ownership of their mind and their themselves feel agency, feel empowered again after feeling so disempowered and so lost of self. Yeah, I, I mean, I learned this stuff just because I got tired of hitting my head on the wall every time. Because I felt like, you know, even as an SLD, I stood up and didn't let the bullies push me around. 
but I still fall in love with narcissists. And I realized that by getting mad and, and defending myself, I was disempowering myself and making it, I was making it easier for the narcissist to justify um, what they were doing. And that when I just was detached from the emotions, I could utilize anything I learned. Say um, I sought your services, I would have been able to go use all these different skill sets that you teach um, and watch which ones work and don't work. And then, um, and I'd have my mind. I, I mean, I, it would, our minds are hijacked when we get angry because we don't know this. We're fighting the fight of the child that we used to be. And, and that's another long discussion. Yeah, there. that's a whole nother discussion. Um, so I just had a great thought that just flew out of my head. Um, yeah, my 62 year old head doesn't uh, retain thoughts as um, it always comes wonder, back. Yeah, so it just came back. So one of the, once I had kind of understood what I was dealing with um, and I stopped taking the bait, and this is a big thing. A lot of clients will be like, well, well what do I say? Like you're in this, you're in this, this, this banter, this debate, this back and forth. And, you know, you started with this and I say, I want you to get to the place where no matter what he or she does, your response is, of course. Of course. That, I, that is a technique. It's, it's, it sounds easy just to say, of course, of course, requires all the knowledge that you teach and I teach that basically predictive awareness. We set this boundary. They react this way. Of course. Um, of course. A quick story, and, and I'll give you a, um, a minute version of it. I had purposely um, um, ended um, t um, the relationships with my family because of the level of toxicity. Five years later, there was a family reunion, and I decided I'm going to go. And I was really excited. And my son, who was old enough to understand, and I shared a lot, said, Dad, why are you happy? I go, Ben, I didn't ever say I didn't want a family. I just said, I don't want to be around people that hurt me. And I said, I am now ready to be around them and they can't hurt me. I said, I finally am at the point where I, anything they do, I'll just I'll brush it off and enjoy them. And I won't have to argue. I'll just walk away. And of course he didn't understand. And I went there and I had a blast and everyone did what they do. Of course, you know, in my mind, of course, of course, my sister did this, my brothers did this. And I walked away and I had a great time because I set my expectations. They did exactly what I thought they would do. I didn't have a reaction. So I say that story is that if you understand yourself well enough and you understand the narcissist well enough and how everything hasn't worked, and if you can just somehow detach and not get surprised. And that's the of course method in a nutshell. It really is. And it's beautiful. And so often my, my, my ex would say some mean and nasty things to me. And, and I was, um, I was told this strategy um, from my mom when she was going through dementia, the, the counselor said, if you could be expecting and accepting of her worst day, Mm -hmm. then you'll never be frustrated and disappointed. And you'll often have an opportunity to be happy because she's having a good day. And I thought, oh my God, I'm using that with my clients. If you could be expecting and accepting. Exactly. I modify of, that. A, absolutely. Um, accepting as in it's okay. If you can be expecting and accept that they are going to otherwise do something that's unfair and hurtful, in which you don't have to get upset, except like it's okay. Like if they hurt you, if they say, if they're disrespectful and you do an SLD, I, um, I accept it. I accept all of you, but if it's okay. So it's yeah. okay. So we're on. No, no, it is. It is. So accept, accept. Okay. So this is a really great point. If I, um, if I'm in resistance of how my 
narcissistic spouse shows up, then I'm going to be like, oh, he was just angry. She was just having a bad day. And that's not the accepting we're talking about. We're saying accept that they have the behavior they have. And that's what they were saying with my mom. It's like, accept that she's not going to remember that she's going to say the same thing 20 times when you can expect and accept that her behavior is her behavior. You're not triggered by it anymore. And so being so my ex would come to me and say all these nasty things. And I'd be like, okay, let's go with that. Um, You know, I would say I would have all these say, um, okay, I hear your perspective. We could disagree. We could agree to disagree. Like all these utterly neutral saying nothing statements. So I wasn't like not responding, but I wasn't feeding the need. So did your mother teach you that? No, I learned that along the path. (laughs) Okay, whoever taught you that, um, kudos. The accepting and expecting was a counselor. That was a social worker um, that that we went to for my mom's dementia. And I love that saying. And I think it it really hits home. Yeah. So so we've touched on a lot of different things. Um, You know, how people uh, end up with these personality types, Mm -hmm. uh, why they're attracted to each other, why it then falls apart, um, the vital importance of of the SLDD, understanding um, all of these steps, and then understanding what they can do about it, and then beginning to develop skills like boundaries where you are in full control um, and being expecting and accepting throughout the entire thing. Wow. That's really impressive that that, (laughs) knowing you, you you had that all planned out from the beginning. Excellent. That's my secret sauce. I summarize well. Um, Ross, I always enjoy chatting with you so much. You bring so much information and um, and experience to the table. And I, I know that every time you join my audience that they benefit from it. So this has been a really fun conversation for me. And without stealing your, your wonderful, wise, compassionate and very lovely statements, um, the same. Um, I, I so much enjoy our discussions. One, it's like talking to an old friend. Two is, um, <clears throat> let's say we did, did disagree. And I don't think we disagreed on anything. It's fun. It's interesting because you're good. You're really good at what you do. And there's many different ways to get to the same point. It's just, you know, the you have talent and insight and sensitivity. You bring your own healing journey. And so I couldn't be more happy um, to know how successful you are and continue to be. And I would like for you to just for a minute talk, um, cause we're, we're going to take this and, and make this discussion we're, we both said we're going to edit it. So for, um, my edited version, <laughs> I'll probably edit that out. <laughs> <knowing me. laughs> can you, can you tell, uh, tell, um, my self-love recovery community a little bit about yourself and how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you so much. So my company is Journey Beyond Divorce. Uh, We have a team of coaches from coast to coast, and we support men and women um, through the before, during, and after stages of primarily high-conflict divorce. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have a podcast, Journey Beyond Divorce. We have a website, Journey Beyond Divorce. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm on it. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Here, here we are. And yeah. um, and and our most recent uh free offer, which I'll I'll give you a link for, is a, a relationship health quiz where you can yeah. just take these answer these 10 questions and you will get a really good sense of um of the health of your relationship and we'll then share some information with you that um, guides you down the right path given what your answers are and please folks everyone that is listening to this on or watching this on my end give her a call shoot her an email she's a real thing she didn't get a success a little bit she didn't become as successful as she is by accident. And and um, if I may, for, for your... Yes, your, please your, do. Your peeps, your folks. Uh, well, I'm the author of the Human Magnet Syndrome. Um, and right now I'm in the process of rewriting it. Um, the first two editions took me 11 months each. This third rewrite um, is going to be three years. And it's going to be renamed. It's going to be called uh, the Codependency Revolution. 
I've taken what's in the human magnet syndrome and I've taken all of my life experiences, which continue to teach me things. And I have revised, updated, created new information. Um, and, and that new version will be ready in about four or five months, but the second edition um, is available on my website or, um, or uh, on Amazon. But um, I also, um, my, I own Self Love Recovery Institute. Um, and that is um, a company that, that offers um, my services and the, my educational products, videos, audios, um, instructional, inspirational um, um, products. And I'm a psychotherapist. I, I love to help people and I have a practice. So should you want to know any more information about me, just go to selfloverecovery.com or just write us at help at selfloverecovery.com. Yeah. So and, that's, that's and my blurb. And I would say I've got I've got plenty of clients who've reached out who've um, who followed you on YouTube, and I think you're um, one of the best out there talking about this stuff. And so I encourage my listeners go check it out. Uh, you will learn a lot. Um, there are great programs for you to engage in. And Ross, I always enjoy these conversations. Thank you so much um, for for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for um, inviting me. And and just, I always have fun. So thanks for that too. Till next time. Till next time. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.